Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a video and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Today, I'm very privileged to welcome not just a very, very dear friend, a fellow YPO member, but a very senior and accomplished finance guru from Hong Kong, Water Cheung Ching Wing. Water, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ash, for having me. Thank you. Water is the senior partner and CEO of Storm Harbor Securities. He's the chairman of Carbon Care Asia. He was earlier with DBS, the Royal Bank of Scotland, CIBC, and Chase Manhattan Bank. He's an avid fintech investor who's involved in the tokenization of financial assets. He's a columnist with several Hong Kong newspapers and magazines. And as I mentioned, he's a fellow IPO member. So what what would you say are three key milestones in your life or your career? I think coming back to Hong Kong, I study, uh, I did my college and my MBA. I have engineering degree in in Canada and I worked there for a good seven, eight years. Mm -hmm. And in 1993, because of family reason, I actually returned to Hong Kong. Um, I was then uh, heading up the derivative trading uh, for for the regional market, for the emerging market, uh, for the Chase Manhattan Bank. And uh, that was a, a career big crew, and and I have the 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 the, the good luck or the, the the perfect timing to witness the growth of uh, derivative products in this region. Right. So that was a, a career big crew. Yeah, fantastic. So let's talk about the you know the world that you have chosen to live in, so you know, work in, which is the world of finance and fintech. Yeah. For thousands of young listeners to my you know, video recording and on our podcast. What is fintech and why is it such a hot sector today? Well, fintech by definition have the fin and the tech, right? The tech, most people refer to the internet world and the fin is the old finance. Mm -hmm. And I I think over the last, call it six to eight years, uh, fintech has evolved in different stages. Mm-hmm. Uh, initially, uh, people are more focusing on the, the consumer market, the, the, the C2C market, and try to create a new connectivity. But I think the, the business has evolved more to now looking at a B2B or a C2B uh, type of market. When I say C, that means consumer. Yeah. Uh, B mean business. And um, because of the abundant availability of technology, that, that's actually a, a big impetus to, 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 to FinTech. I remember on my personal investment history, I started investing in a social trading platform in China going back to uh, 2000, uh, 2014. And that was the year when Apple uh, handphone being introduced to China and Facebook just got listed in 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 in, um, in, in the states, although they were not making any money then. Yeah. Uh, but yet, the introduction of, of the smartphone was a big big tool in terms of the, the, the doing the, the social networking, having an online communities, uh, and and I think technology was uh, has a big bearing in, in the development. Yeah. Okay, and you know uh, wherever I read, the fintech space seems to be booming, and yet. What I when I read more about it, I think it's overcrowded. I can't understand how many players there are in this space. <laughs> what are your thoughts for for the new uh, entrants? In fact, the world is getting more and more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and this uh, old Chinese saying that the watermelon will lean on the big tree. <laughs> so I, I think what it means is the market become very much like oligopoly. Mm -hmm. uh, if you are not going to have the, the, the massive capital and the fundraising capability, it's actually very difficult to survive. Mm -hmm. And I saw, sort of alluded earlier to, to the differentiation between a C2C and B2C. Everyone wants to have another Facebook company. Okay. That's a huge success on the C market. Mm -hmm. But yet today, the current acquisition cost is very expensive. Rather, I, I think the opportunity for the younger generation is actually look at the, 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 the process uh, of the financial institution, look at the back office, look at the mid office, mm -hmm. and try to come up with a replacing solution that can improve the efficiency. But then if you really got a good technology, the client acquisitions uh, cost is much lower. You don't need to have uh, 5 million users in order to get the VC attention. Right. You just need a handful of good, like JP Morgan and whatnot, and a good account. And then you, you are, you're off to the run. So hmm. I, I think my, my, my message to share with the young, young entrepreneur is uh, don't get too overexcited about the past success. You need to cover up your own new one. Yeah. Okay, very interesting. So, you know, uh, you are involved in, to use the phrase, tokenization of financial assets. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't understand what it is, and I'm sure many of our listeners and viewers <laughs> will not understand. Yeah. Please help yeah. me understand what does this mean? I think for a lot of us, the first exposure to token, uh, Bitcoin is the classic case, right? But if you ask me what's the underlying asset of, mm -hmm. of Bitcoin, there's nothing, right? Um, I think with all what we call the utility coin worlds, with the exception of USDT, which is a stable coin, which claim that for every $1 of US coins they issue, there's a $1 greenback as, as a foundation mm -hmm. or as an underlying asset. But most of the coins that we have heard in, in the first generation are utility coins. Mm -hmm. Basically, they're meant to be facilitate a transaction <clears throat> rather than have any inherent value. <clears throat> and then, then come the... Uh, the the token 2.0. Mm -hmm. um, a number of external factors are happening. Mm -hmm. The government finally come to terms that I cannot get rid of all these kiki uh, guy. Okay, mm -hmm. so uh, Bitcoin is going to stay, but to maintain the stability of the financial system, mm -hmm. let me come up with a, a a a rule of games. Let me come up with my own version of digital currency. Uh, in China, they have launched something called the DCEP, which stands for Digital Currency Electronic Platform. Mm -hmm. But in that concept, there's no zero intermediations or like there's no anonymous user, things like that. It is a, it's a very transparent and, and platform. But yes, the means of, of transaction is digital. So that, that's one factor come to play. But what I mean by uh, security tokens is every token actually are backed by a real asset. It could be a shares in a company. Mm -hmm. It could be a loan. Uh, it could be a hotel. It could be a property asset. So, but the key thing is everything is backed by real asset. And equally important is that now the regulator required that the entire issuing process and the, and the subsequent trading of the asset need to conform to what 
the deemed as the market norm. So now trading a security coin or issuing a security coin is no different from issuing a bond. Uh, but inside of a document putting a, in a lawyer, you probably have a document blockchain that and installed somewhere. Um, but the process, and, and also one thing our, our finance guy are very concerned is the KYC. They are now required the KYC angle. So you, you to onboard the client to invest, invest in the security coins, you actually need to do the know your client process. Yeah. Very interesting. So I'm going to ask you a related question with the Bitcoin. You know, when I was growing up and whatever little economics I studied, yeah, what you said was that every financial product had to be backed with something is a substantive asset. What is Bitcoin backed by? I, I think... Big, the short answer is nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, a qualified answer is everyone believes there's a limited supply because based on the original algorithm, yeah, the number of issue, the number of issue coins, one, the, the, the production rate decay along with time and there's a finite amount being. So that creates some kind of a demand or, or belief in the demand of the coins. But the short answer to your question is, is, is no. Uh, but yet, um, I was a bear when Bitcoin first break 6,000. Of course, I was that wrong. <laughs> the Bitcoin price go up to 18,000. Then they come off. And, and then on the second wave, I'm actually a believer because I start seeing the institutional, some very serious institutional player are coming to the market. And I'm also seeing some of the money. And last time when people make money in Bitcoin, they will convert it in US dollar and then go home and have party, open a nice bottle of wine and yeah. whatnot. Now, no, people actually keep the money in the so-called the wallet or the exchange. So they keep the money in the cyberspace, uh, which is, 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 a, is, a, is, a, is a great demonstration of trust. They want to continue this game. So I, I think uh, the game will carry on. I, I, I don't like the price for alternative because I heard, I think it actually hurt the long-term survivability of the coins rather than helping it. Uh, but it is what it is, yeah. Very interesting. So moving on, you know, you're also an expert in restate financing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what is this, Walter? Please help me understand. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I as I mentioned, I came from engineering back. I did this civil engineering and, and I did an MBA. And uh, and I entered finance. Uh, my first job was a court in a in a in a, in a trading room in, in Canada. At that time, I I basically I despise property. I think property is some low tech. Uh, lazy money to be made and so forth. Mm -hmm. But as I grow older, I, I'm totally dependent. And I, I think a lot of the wealth, particularly in this part of the world, are created and still stored in real estate. So, uh, so real estate finance has become part and partial of my life and, and my professional activities. Um, I was involved going back to uh, 2003, uh, in the very early round of the emerging market risk, risk is a real estate investment trust. Mm -hmm. I actually um, took the first Chinese company who leased the shopping mall in Hong Kong. I was doing the first uh, so-called uh, China REITs uh, in, uh, offshore in Hong okay. Kong. Um, unfortunately, if you, I don't know, I, I'm a bit uh, ignorant on the Indian market, but if you look at your China market, the, the, the entire securization market is still not yet that, that, that well developed. Part of it is, is uh, another company law issue. Uh, like uh, in China, uh, setting up a trust with no natural person as an owner is still a great area, whether you can do it. But 
the uh, a, a comprehensive trust law actually required the setting up of SPV, which is backed by asset, but there's no so-called shareholder or, or, or ultimate beneficiary. So no one is going to talk to court because this 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 company bankrupt or, or anything like that. So that that was a backdrop of of uh, going back. That was well, good. Seventeen years ago, when I first mm-hmm. did the first China China reads, um, I, I think real estate financing uh, took took many form. Uh, the 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 REITs market was was booming at that time. Interestingly, people remember we just uh, come back from the, from the aftermath of SARS, mm-hmm. so interest rate is still very low. But asset value is very low as well. So. For the property owner, there's an incentive for them to sell their, their property through the securitization platform through a REIT. Um, but um, but things are not the same now. This this day is, is a bit have a different parameters. So the, the market condition has changed. Very interesting. So you know you have spoken about REIT a couple of times, and again for yeah. our listeners, yeah, uh, REIT seems to be the order of the day. Uh, read for, uh, as, as a, for, for our listeners, it's R-E-I-T. What to help me understand, what is a REIT and how does a common person invest in it? So by definition, our real estate investment trust, right? Mm-hmm. So it's in a trust format. And uh, they have both public REITs and private REITs. Public REITs are those listed in, in the stock exchange. Mm-hmm. And uh, Japan has a huge uh, J-REITs market. And a bridge is, 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 is a very interesting, a hybrid animal between bonds and equities. It has all the trading characteristics, like it's listed in the exchange, like stocks and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But from an economic payout point of view, it's very much like a bonds. So usually a REITs will own a handful of very stable income generating assets. Mm-hmm. And their mission is to have all the cash flow, the rental income after expense, 90, at least 90% distributed to the investor as a dividend. So from an investor perspective, if you invest in a property company, you, you are at the whim of the management and, and the major, majority shareholder, how much cash you get out of that, that portfolio. Okay. And that's why if you look at the Hong Kong stock market, a lot of the property company are trading at a deep discount to, to book value mm-hmm. because people somehow feel that the full value of the asset is not, is not, not uh, distributable. So REITs have this benefit that you don't need to argue. The, the, the net income, the cash flow, you got distributed to, to the investor. So in that sense, uh, it has a nature of, of a bond characteristic. So it's, a, it's an income stream kind of uh, investment. In fact, a lot of the, uh, the REITs are priced off the 10-year government bond plus mm-hmm. spread. So, uh, so REITs, is, I think, is a very interesting animal. But for something to happen, uh, each stakeholder have incentive must have some incentive to do it. Mm. Last time when the market is booming because a lot of the asset owners are looking for a new way to unload their asset or monetize their asset. Mm-hmm. So typically, in a lot of cases, uh, the property owner don't put the drool asset into the risk. They put some boring asset, not that attractive, not, not that something that we'd be proud of, but have a very stable income mm-hmm. into a risk. And then people, the investor buy the risk, not because it's a token, uh, token build building, mm-hmm. but because the, the cash flow is decent. So different parties have different, different requirements. Yeah. 
So, you know, moving on, you know, we, we spoke that fintech is finance and technology. Yeah. Right. You are a finance guru and yeah. you are obviously following what's happening in technology very closely. So tell me what is happening from a finance perspective in the global digital economy? I, I think it's it, 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 it's a bit like the Bitcoin development as well. Initially, the whole idea was set up by some geek, non-finance guy, okay? And I still remember Jack Ma have a very famous statement saying that <clears throat> what I'm doing is the finance of internet, mm-hmm. not the internet of finance. Mm-hmm. What it meant is the traditional banks or bankers, when they think about fintech, is oh, don't worry. Instead of opening a branch, I just have an internet shop front and then I will do the business as, 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 the, as the old way. Mm-hmm. But the true internet people think about it, they, they think about it starting from what is a internet community mm-hmm. and what are the financing needs. Being a bank or not is never the consideration. And I think there's, there's why they beat the biggie in, in, in round number one, because they're, they are far more innovative. They, they're more understand, they have more understanding on the user needs and they create a, a quite a number of interesting ventures. Okay. But now it was a bit like uh, the David versus the Goliath. Yeah. But now the Goliath come back and say, no, I, I know I was wrong, but I got deep pocket. I got good people. Right. I'm going to buy up all this venture. I'm going to do, uh, do something totally new. So they learn from the game. So we are in the second round of this, this, this David versus the Goliath uh, game. Okay. And I don't know and, uh, who is going to win. And, and, Make it a bit more difficult, uh, more interesting. Is last time uh, you can call Facebook, uh, David. You can call uh, Twitter uh, or, or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the internet, the internet startup, uh, David. Mm-hmm. But now they're so huge now, yeah. so it's hard to say who is actually David or who is actually <laughs> going here. And, and, uh, and I think that's an interesting. Game. Being an investment banker, I remember 10 years ago, I started getting my, I finished with my last paycheck and I started my own company. Mm-hmm. I remember that time because of the global financial crisis, a lot of people looked down or talked down on investment bankers. They're saying they're greedy, they didn't pick paycheck, they're not serving the world. But at that time, I make a, I make a very, very interesting statement in a newspaper mm-hmm. and got quite, quite a got good, good uh, feedback. It's, Look at all these internet gurus, they are the standard, typical type A mentality. Mm-hmm. No different from an investment banker. They are, they are greedy, they, their style are take no prisoner. And then look at how big they have grown their empire. And now suddenly the government or the public getting very nervous now. They, they want to have a more balanced uh, game. I, I, I think in reality, the world needs this type of type A person to move it ahead. Mm-hmm. But there need to be somehow some check and balance. Yeah, otherwise uh, the the ruling could be too 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 aggressive. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. So I'm not going to move on to another part of our conversation. You know, for someone who spent his entire life in the finance world and who's built amazing organizations, what are some of the core values that you believe in? Uh I, I believe in good karma. I, I think doing something good uh, will come back and help you mm-hmm. uh, and also give you in your heart, you have a, a, a good feeling. So when you face a failure, face downturn, you can handle it in, in a more he- healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as a style, I think stay stay curious is it's good so that you learn something new every day, and and uh, that that make you keep you young. I think that's also also very important. Yeah, interesting. And my next question, Water, is on the millennials and the Gen Zs. Mm. You, know, uh, you and I have spent almost four decades working. The world now <laughs> belongs to the millennials and the Gen Z. Yeah, 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 yeah. What, in your opinion, are the millennials and the Gen Zs doing to change the fintech business? I think they have done a lot. Um, and, and I think using a very old financial term, mm-hmm. um, when I work for a bank and, 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 and the management or the board always required the, the senior management to do a zero-based budgeting. Mm-hmm. For those who know the term, they know what I mean. But actually what it means is, forget about what happened in the past, okay? Right. <laughs> Don't Stop. tell me last yeah. year you spent $10 this year, I need to spend 12 right. Start everything from a zero base yeah. and then rebuild your case. I think they are doing the business based on the zero-based uh, approach, which gives them a lot of leeway. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm also concerned um, the structure of the job market definitely will be different from 40 years ago. And um, whether there's it have enough job to keep the young people gainfully employed, that's always concerns me. Because a lot of the technology, instead of creating jobs, are actually killing jobs. And um, it's good to see some youngster two years after graduate to become a CEO of something, CEO of another thing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I think life, you need to go through a boring, grinding stage in order to be fully mature. Mm-hmm. Um, being a CEO after two years graduation may not be, may not be the right thing for everyone. Yeah. Right. Well said. So what I'm not going to move to the last segment of our conversation, which are some questions for you personally. I think I have time for two, maybe three questions. So, you know, from the stage of life where you are at today, as you look back at a very successful career, achieved so much, listed companies, continuing to hold some incredible assets, mm-hmm. what does success mean to water? I think, and I'm more, more come to term today, um, I'm um, I'm a well-off middle class, okay? If today I'm not Nikashing, I would never be Nikashing, okay? <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm too young to have that too. I think the success in life is not defined by how much money you make uh, or, or whatever possession you is to fulfill your talent. I think everyone born with a certain talent. And, um, and, and, have the opportunity and work and the opportunity to really use your talent to help yourself first and then also helping other people is, is the key, is, is the key, key message, yeah. My next question to you, and it's probably my last question to you, is on failure. You know, you and I come from two communities in the world, the Chinese and the Indians, yeah. where we have never really told our children it's okay to fail. We've always said, come first, go to the head of the line, run faster, etc. I mean, I can certainly say that about India. I can't, I don't know much about China, but I'm assuming large countries have the same problem. And yet we fail a lot. My question to you, my friend, is what have been some of your learnings from some of your mistakes? I, I, I cite two incidents. One is a more general one. 
Um, I spent a good part of my career as a trader and also running dealing rooms. And believe it or not, I mean, of course, I, I, I lost money big time. I mean, easily in one day, I lost in the, in the magnitude of tens of millions. That, that, that happened to my life. Mm-hmm. And, and then you need to look beyond that. In fact, against my, my preference, my son, has, my son is now 22 years old, have this, has, has uh, come up with some, some, some aptitude towards trading stocks. And the first thing I, 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 I sort of alerted him is, in order to be successful, you must know how to handle failure. How do you, when you lose money, how you build upon your portfolio and slowly but steadily rebuild your, 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 your wealth. I think that, that, that's the key, key thing. So this is a very technical, this is about handling failure. On a more personal career path point of view, um, yeah, we all have our glorious day working for big organization. I run a portfolio of something like 20 countries, 2,000 people and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, but once you become a very senior management, you actually spend a lot of time on the, being, a, being a firefighter or also spending all the time on internal politics. And I hate some of the internal politics. I'm more a very task-driven person. Mm-hmm. I like to embark on, on projects, technical yeah. difficulties. But it, it, once you reach a certain senior level in a big organization, you become a bit like a politician and need to do it. And I used to hate it. And, and when I quit, the, my, as I say, 10, 10 plus years ago, quit my last page paycheck, I was quite relieved and happy. But looking back, now I reflect on it. I mean, an organization actually needs some good politician to facilitate, to oil it, okay? Uh, at one time, I may deem myself as a victim. How come I'm, I'm technically so competent yet I didn't get the, the biggest job and what, what not and get, become very bitter. I, I learned from when I'm looking back, I, I think that should be the way because the, the, an organization doesn't need the smartest person to run it. But the the the... the the best facilitator probably is is a bad better term. So I think we also learn from some 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 career failure in, in that sense. Yeah, fascinating, very very fascinating. And and as far as, as far as your son is concerned, we can certainly say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So <laughs> he's following what his father did. But Walter, thank you so much. Thank you I for having me. I really enjoy it. Okay, talk to you soon. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.